Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Upper 90. I'm Sam Culp. Happy to be back talking all things Premier League with you on the WMUC Sports Network of Podcasts. Another great show for you today. I'll be getting into some of the major matches of the weekend, starting of course with Chelsea versus Tottenham. I'll also be discussing another disappointing loss for Arsenal and also how about Fulham getting a huge 2-1 victory over Leicester. I'll be getting into all of those matches later in the show. But once again, we start with some injury news. It's been the the main topic outside of football throughout this season. It's not just in the Premier League, too. Across world football, we've seen injuries on the rise, especially those muscle injuries. And unfortunately, again, this weekend, we had an instance of a really horrific injury uh, to, to uh, two players, really. Uh, David Luiz and Raul Jimenez, they were uh, off of a corner going up for a ball, collided heads. It's something that happens quite often in football. However, in this circumstance, uh, there were some serious injuries involved. David Luiz, uh, the defender, obviously got the, the, got the lesser end of the brunt force. He just had a, a minor cut on his head, was taken off the pitch at halftime due to what, they, what Arsenal called discomfort, although it was pretty apparent that um, he was also seriously injured. But a lot of the focus is on Raul Jimenez. Um, he fractured his skull. He was, he's been in the hospital ever since Sunday when the injury occurred. Um, and really, it's, it's, a, it's not only um, just disappointing to see such a serious injury like that. Head injuries, any type of head injury, uh, it's obviously very serious. And we don't exactly know the extent of Raul Jimenez's injuries, um, but hoping for the best. And, you know, the Premier League lacks behind in a lot of different ways when it comes to head injuries. We see in American football, they ha- they now have the policy where um, if you suffer any type of head trauma and the medical staff notices that um, some sort of head-to-head contact or any type of, again, head trauma occurs, you, you get taken off the field and tested for concussions. Um, a lot of times, you know, players are rushed back into the game, especially if they're important, which, which is not okay, but at least it's a step in the right direction. Taking players off the pit, off the field, um, if they show concussion symptoms or are involved in some head-to-head play. In association football, there is really no such policy. Um, and head-to-head contact occurs almost as often as it does in American football. So it's a massive problem, head injuries are, that, that plagues the game, um, again, not just on the Premier League and professional levels, but levels, but also below college, high school. It's something that is really pre- uh, prevalent in the sport. And there needs to be some sort of con- uh, concussion substitute rule where a player, if they have head-to-head contact, can be removed from the pitch. So uh, another player comes on in their spot. You know, it, it only takes really five minutes for an athletic trainer to test for a concussion and, and uh, either clear a player or diagnose them with concussion-like symptoms and go back for further testing and obviously don't let them return to the game. But there needs to be a way for that quick concussion testing to occur to make sure um, that, you know, a player like David Luiz, who appears to be fine uh, after the after the play, um, got up, walked off on his own power, had a bandage on his, on his head, but actually did return to the match before being subbed off at halftime. You know, you don't know the, the, what if... Um, 
what if he had a concussion? What, you know, he could have a concussion. And, uh, you know, letting a player uh, back into the game with a concussion, he receives another blow to the head. That can be life-threatening, serious. Um, so it's it's a massive issue in the Premier League, and it's another example this season that we see of injuries occurring and the Premier League somewhat being unprepared for those circumstances. And, and obviously, you know, this whole concussion substitute thing doesn't exactly apply to the Jimenez, uh, David Luiz situation, but it speaks to a broader problem in in the Premier League when it comes to injuries. Again, hoping for the best for for Raul Jimenez and David Luiz, but um, the Premier League needs to be more prepared for when head injuries do occur. All right, let's get into the first match of the week, the biggest match of the week, uh, no doubt, between first place Tottenham and third place Chelsea. Uh, it's one of those matches where you just wish fans were in the stands at Stamford Bridge. You know it would have been packed and crazy with those uh, 40,000 supporters. But nonetheless, anticipated match. Uh, two really contrasting styles. As we've, already, as we've seen this season, Chelsea under Frank Lampard have run a much more fluid tactic. Um, they've looked really, really good on the attack. And, and as Timo Werner and Kai Havertz kind of get into a slightly better form, they're only going to get better. And then Tottenham, on the other hand, have really been the surprise of the season. And a lot of the credit should go to Jose Mourinho, has implemented his style really well, has found players that will buy into, into a system of hard work and solid defense and uh, it worked once again against Chelsea, a nil-nil draw. Bit of a disappointment. Um, you know, as a Chelsea fan, you were kind of expecting at least one goal from the Blues. They didn't get any. Um, personally, I thought Chelsea were the better team throughout the match. They dominated possession, especially in the second half. They had some some quality chances that just weren't converted. Um, they also had a, had a goal disallowed earlier in the match. For off or uh, for a um, for offside, excuse me. Um, so it, if if you're a Chelsea fan like myself, I'm sure you come away a little bit disappointed uh, because the three points were were certainly in reach. Um, but listen, you know Tottenham has been the hottest club in the Premier League outside of Chelsea. They showed what they can do on the counter against Manchester City. They had some really nice attacks against Chelsea and. Um, Edward Mendy made some brilliant saves again, so you have to feel encouraged by that. Um, and again, you know, it's 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 one of the big six clubs coming away with points from against one of those clubs is always, in my mind, um, a bit of a success, even if you get don't get the full three. So uh, you know, there are positives to take away from it from a Chelsea side. However, uh, the the I, I think the big problem for Chelsea in this match specifically was that the the players that they had on the pitch just weren't working in their selected positions. Most notably, Timo Werner on the left-hand side. That's just not his role. He's not a left-winger. You can't play him there. And I know t- t- uh, Tammy Abraham has been on an impressive run of play. He's played really well in the Champions League matches and some of the Premier League uh, uh, and the Premier League recent stretch that Chelsea has gone on where they've uh, you know gotten points consistently in games. But... Um, you know, Timo Werner needs to play in that central attacking position. There's no reason why he should be out on the wings at all, in my opinion. 
Um, there were a couple moments in the game where you kind of saw his ability to uh, uh, dribble with the ball, force the force Tottenham's back line uh, uh, towards the goal, stretch things out, especially in the midfield, which is where I thought Chelsea really needed to win. They needed to win that central midfield role with N'Golo Kante um, and, and Mateo Kovacic, and they didn't. And Tottenham, because of that, uh, was able to stay compact and not really worry about Timo Werner too much. I, I thought he was fairly non-existent throughout the match other than a couple brief moments. Um, and, um, you know, Frank Lar- uh, Lampard's game plan was to stretch out Chelsea, uh, tr- sorry, stress, uh, stretch out Tottenham, and uh, it just didn't work. And I think some of that has to do with Werner not fitting on the left. Tammy Abraham just it wasn't the right time to play him in that central role in this match. I thought if you if, if Pulisic, I know Pulisic wasn't healthy, but I thought him working on the left, Werner up front, that would have been a much better lineup and could have um, could have resulted in Chelsea getting a goal on the board. It didn't though, um, and uh, yeah, you know, in the future, I I really hate seeing Werner out on the left because I know how much potential he has in that central, um, in that striker position, and uh, you know that's probably the biggest fault I think of Frank Lampard this season. He's been really good with his tactics and with his lineups, but it's just in these in these big games I think he makes some questionable decisions and I thought uh, putting Werner on the left was yet another example again granted Pulisic coming off of a hamstring injury did get subbed in later in the match and and also Kai Havertz was out um or not out but uh wasn't fully fit he's coming off of a positive COVID test too so depleted lineup but I still think uh the the lineup was not great and also, I mean, just just Ziyech and and Chilwell and and Werner again just didn't play great. You expect a lot from those guys because of how well they've played in the last five Premier League matches for Chelsea, and they just didn't deliver today. Um, Hakim Ziyech, the worst I've seen him play, um, just wasn't connecting with most of his crosses. Gave away a lot of passes. Just wasn't his normal self, uh, which is a disappointment. In a game of this magnitude, you want to see the best out of your star players. I still think Chelsea are primed for a top four finish for sure and are going to make a serious run at the title. But dropping points to Tottenham isn't ideal. But as I said earlier, you still got to take away the positives um, from the match with holding an- uh, getting another clean sheet with Mendy in the, in the back line playing well once again. It's, it's, it's still incredible to me how much difference a competent goalkeeper makes I mean Kepa just he couldn't hold down the fort and as and as a result the the Chelsea's back line even with Silva and Zuma and Chilwell and Reese James on the right you know they still I, I thought lacked um lacked the confidence in themselves because of how many goals they're allowing a lot of that due to Kepa's uh ineptitude and now that Mendy is there, I think you can take a little bit of risks, especially on the wings. They've done that so far, getting Chilwell and James forward more, and it's really helped them. But in this match, um, it wasn't to be no goals for Chelsea. And on the Tottenham side, they played a, a pretty much flawless match. You know, I said that Chelsea played better, and I think they did. But, uh, you know, Tottenham going into it, um, they pretty much played the way they did against Man City. They sat back, they compacted the midfield, compacted the back line, kind of let Chelsea um, 
pass around the ball in the midfield and attack as soon as they gained possession, and they did and had some good chances, probably the best chances of the game, I'd say. Um, they, they uh, led by Son and Kane, had a couple of really nice counters and weren't able to get on the board. But um, it's another solid match from them. Uh, Mourinho, I mean, he's he just turns on turns it on in his second season, and, and again, it's a good res- good result for them on the road. The one thing I'll say about Tottenham that um, is a bit concerning to me is the the center back position. I'm not so sure that Eric Dyer is the answer there. Um, I he didn't play great against Chelsea again. He gave away a lot of balls, um, and that's probably their biggest concern right now. You have Aurier and Regulon on the wings. They're, they're I mean, they're outstanding players. You don't have to worry about them in, in the midfield. And obviously with, um, with Kane up front, that's fine. But as teams start to figure out Tottenham a little bit, um, especially against the top teams in the league, uh, you got to question how long Tottenham is going to be able to hold up on that back line. Today it was Dyer, or I'm um, sorry, uh, yesterday it was Dyer and Rodon. Rodon did play well. I mean, I got to hand it to him. He played really well. The youngster from Wales uh, really stepped up and, and uh, cut out several crosses from Chilwell and, and uh, defended really nicely. I was actually really impressed by him. It's, he's not a guy who I'd uh, heard a whole lot about, but um, he stepped up in, in a big game, which is a good sign for, for Tottenham going forward as kind of uh, that center back position is their biggest question with Eric Dyer still, in my opinion, not playing his best football. But Tottenham is still top of the table. That's all you can ask for. If you're a Spurs fan, uh, you're, you've got to be impressed with the way this team has come out in the second season under Mourinho. And, you know, one thing about Tottenham that you can definitely just sense a change of is that they've, they've, bought, they've really bought into Mourinho's culture this year. And there's a palpable difference. You're not hearing stuff from the tabloids about, you know, Delhi and Mourinho being in conflict. Um, those those kind of stories about Mourinho just not having a control over the team have really died down. And and it just speaks to to Jose Mourinho's presence as a football manager. He's so good at motivating his his club, motivating his guys to perform to their best capabilities on the pitch, and so far it's working. Who, who knows how long this is going to last? Um, we've seen in the past Mourinho system collapse after a couple years, but uh, you know, right now Tottenham, and our, our, Tottenham are in a great position to make a, a Premier League title run, and of course they're in the Europa League. Got, they, they have to be the favorites to win that trophy, and you know Mourinho who's already won the Europa League twice, is not going to take that lightly. Nil-nil, Chelsea-Tottenham, disappointing result from a neutral observer fan, but there are positives and some negatives to take away for both teams. All right, next match to get into for this week, Manchester United versus Southampton. United actually coming in below Southampton in the table, entering this match, and it was a topsy-turvy affair for United. They go down 2 nil. Early on, James Ward-Prowse with an assist and a goal for the Saints. I mean, Ward-Prowse has really been incredible to start this season, and he, he got the assist on a corner. It was a beautiful cross into the box 
that was finished uh, beautifully for Southampton's first goal uh, by Bednarik. And then later in, in the first half, he got a goal of his own and uh, put Southampton up 2-0. And at that point, you know, I, w- I was watching the game at home just thinking, man, this, this feels like it could be the final straw for Ole. And he was able to turn it around. I mean, massive, massive credit to him this match. It, it might it probably saved his job uh, for, for the most part. But he made two substitutions at halftime. He took out David De Gea, put in Dean Henderson, took out uh, Greenwood, put in Cavani. And, man, did it work wonders for him. Henderson was brilliant in the second half. Southampton really didn't get too many chances. The Man United defense, which struggled in the first half, really shored things up. Uh, out of, out of the break, and then Edinson Cavani. I mean, what more do you have to to say for him? I mean, he just an incredible uh, second half performance. So, uh, the biggest thing with him is that he get he he spreads Manchester United out. Sometimes when you watch United, they're they're just so congested, especially in the midfield. And while Cavani will play up front, and he did kind of slide into that forward role with with Rashford. Um, it allowed Manchester United to attack more down the wings, and with Cavani running down the right flank, it was really effective. It led to Bruno Fernandes' goal in the box. Cavani with a nice cross in on the attack. And then the two goals after that uh, to put United up 3-2 and get a massive, massive three points. They're still behind Southampton in the table. Um, they currently sit, I believe, in 11th. I'm sorry, 9th. They currently sit in ninth, Southampton in sixth. Still a, a one-point gap between them. Uh, so Manchester United still has some work to do. They still have to uh, play strong throughout this next stretch here and, and into the uh, new year. But um, it's a promising sign to see United respond in this way because they, they, they've done similar things before. They came back against West Brom earlier in the season, and... They've had some, you know, good performances throughout the year. They they held Chelsea nil nil. I'm not really sure you can say that's a great performance, but it was good. We we've seen how well Chelsea can play on the attack, and Manchester United was able to contain that somewhat somewhat well. But I'm not sure that we've really seen a comeback performance like this out of Manchester United in a while. It shows that this team maybe is playing for Ole. Maybe. Uh, feels in the locker room that this is the right guy and that, um, you know, the stuff I was talking about in the last couple weeks is that maybe, you know, he was losing the locker room a little bit with Pogba not playing matches. Van de Beek finally gets into the squad or the the first team uh, starting 11 in this match plays pretty well. Um, And we see him make a nice substitution with Cavani, the headline signing for Manchester United during the summer transfer window, a window in which they missed out on Jane Sancho, a guy who was, it seemed, all but settled to go to Old Trafford. And, you know, if, if you're a United fan right now, you have to feel good about this result. Um, I actually ran a poll on Twitter saying, after this match, are you still are you Ole in or Ole out? I think if I had done the poll before the match, it would have had much different results. Um, but it was overwhelmingly Ole in. Now, <laughs> granted... Some of the some of the Olean votes came from Chelsea fans and Tottenham fans and Arsenal fans who think that Ole is 
not a good manager, so they want him to stick around naturally, and that's you know that's that's okay. Um, but from an objective viewpoint, I think Ole has done a better job since that Chelsea result. Um, to uh, since the Arsenal result really was kind of the the low point to get his squad back on track to to win over the locker room again and silence the Mauricio Pochettino to United rumors at least for now he has his job secured and uh, there's another manager who I think is at this point much much more likely to be sacked and that is Mikel Arteta. You know, Arsenal lose again, uh, at home again, to Wolves this time, 2-1. You know, it, it on paper, it's a, it's another horrible loss for Arsenal. And it is a bad loss, although I do think Arsenal were actually the better team for the majority of the match, especially in the second half. They really dominated the second half and had some quality chances that just weren't put away. So I guess... For the positives for Arsenal, you can take that away. It's still a 2-1 loss, though, to, to Wolves, a team that has a far, far less capital to spend in the transfer market, didn't get a big signing like Arsenal did in Thomas Partey. Partey was unavailable for this match. He has an injury, uh, and I was reading something earlier that uh, he could be out for an extended period of time, possibly until the start of, uh, possibly into the start of the new year, so another month which is, uh, you know, just terrible for Arsenal. He's their best player by far. You can see the creative spark that he adds to the midfield, and without him, that midfield is just, it's atrocious. I mean, Ceballos is a good player, but he's not playing well. Xhaka, we've seen in previous seasons play well. I actually think he's done okay up until this point, but it's just not working right now without Partey, and they, they need him back desperately. So we'll have to see how this injury plays out, I'm sure. Uh, that the training staff at Arsenal and, and Partey himself are going to do everything he can to get back to the pitch because Arsenal really need him right now. They drop points again. They're 14th in the table. Their upcoming schedule is just absolutely grueling. They play Tottenham next week in the London Derby, a game that form is thrown out the window for, but you can't say that Arsenal is going in with a feeling of confidence, a feeling that they could come out with the three points. Tottenham is absolutely the better team and should win that match. Then they have Burnley. I mean, that should be a win for Arsenal. One game in the next five, they should win. It's against Burnley. Then they take on Southampton, Everton, Chelsea, and Brighton to finish out the calendar year. I mean, that is just tough. I can't say out of I'd say five out of this out of six of those matches, they're going in as underdogs. Burnley is the only team that really they should beat. Um, even Brighton, I think Brighton is playing really good football right now. They should have beaten Liverpool on the weekend. They had a chance to, got a point against the team at the top of the table and the defending champions. I mean, they're they're playing really good football right now. Certainly better than Arsenal, and we'll see how things play out uh, through the rest of December, but. You know, that match on December 29th could be Arteta's final, I'm not going to say final match, but final stand to prove something because I'm not sure he, he beats Everton or Chelsea or, or even gets points against Southampton. All three of those clubs are playing good football. And, you know, it, the, the, way, <laughs> the, way, the way the Premier League works is it's really week to week. Determinations can be made 
on a week-to-week basis about a manager. We see it with Ole. He's kind of turned the tables around on it. And, 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 you know, if Arteta gets a result against Tottenham, that that – that that'll turn the season around for Arsenal. That's such a a, a huge rivalry, arguably the uh, one of the most fierce in football. And he he goes out and Arsenal beat Tottenham. No matter the scoreline, it's going to be huge for his club's confidence and also his standing as manager of Arsenal. Switching over to the Wolves side now because they do deserve a lot of credit. They saw their star player Raúl Jiménez go down with a head injury early on. Just a brutal scene. Um, latest news is that he's recovering in the hospital. Obviously, you hope for the best. But after that, you know, it's so difficult for a team to respond when you see your teammate go down with that type of injury, stretch it off the the pitch. But credit to Wolves, they did. Um, They scored two goals on an Arsenal defense that has been playing well. Uh, Gabriel for Arsenal is their best player. And, uh, you know, Wolves were still able to generate an attack and uh, put two goals on the board that were really nicely scored. The second goal, uh, it was probably more on the goaltender than good build-up play. Uh, It was off of a shot from, I think it was Neto. Leno caught it in his body and then kind of dribbled out right to uh, Podence, who finished it for Wolves' second goal. Potence, by the way, is having a fantastic campaign for Wolves. Has really been one of their best players. Uh, he's from Portugal, just like his teammate Rui Patricio. And Wolves have this... They might not be the most talented squad, but it just seems like they're so well coached. They have a couple good players that are able to step up in the big moments. And they've consistently gotten good results against the big six sides, and they do it on the weekend again against Arsenal at home. It's actually Wolves' first time winning on the road in a league match against Arsenal since 1973. 1973, that's crazy. But this Wolves squad has ambitions of top six, and they can absolutely do it. And it's uh, another big win for a squad that is looking to get hot as we finish out the calendar year. Some of the other matches from the weekend to get into Liverpool versus Brighton. I'm I'm so impressed with Brighton this year. I mean, I know Aston Villa and West Ham have played good football, but I think Brighton is kind of the surprise team for me. Um, the way they've played with with a roster that, quite frankly, uh, is not completely Premier League caliber. They do have some really good players in there. Alana, obviously, the former Liverpool man. But, uh, you know, Lamptey, Sonny March, these guys, they're playing really well. And they deserve to beat Liverpool on the weekend. Now, the penalty at the end for Brighton, let's talk about that because it, it absolutely was the wrong call. Brighton were down 1-0, uh, you know, seconds away uh, really from a bad loss. Uh, all things cons- I mean, it's Liverpool, so it wouldn't be a bad loss. But with the way they played, they should have had a goal. They had multiple chances. And... Danny Welbeck in the box, uh, going for a uh, half volley, and he, he whiffs. And Robertson, at the same time, is trying to clear it. He also whiffs and hits Welbeck in the foot in the penalty area. Welbeck kind of with a delayed reaction. He goes down, 
I've talked about this before, but this is what strikers are, are trained to do. The second they feel any type of contact, you go down in the box because VAR is going to look at it. And when VAR looks at stuff, you kind of never know now because it was very minimal contact. It was just to his foot. It was clear that Robertson had no intent to even uh, – he, he wasn't even tackling Welbeck. He was just trying to clear the ball. Unfortunately for him, he whiffed, and at the same time, Welbeck's foot was in the air, and they made contact slight contacts at, at that but Welbeck goes down and, and VAR does its thing gives Brighton a penalty and 1-1 I totally understand why Liverpool fans are upset it wasn't a penalty Liverpool have been on the bad end of several VAR calls this season they had they actually in this match had two goals uh, disallowed for offside both Probably were, were the right calls, but it just seems like Liverpool is getting screwed by VAR over and over again. And it brings us back to this discussion of VAR and is it good for the game of football? In other sports, it's not, in other sports where replay is used, it's not the same. In American football, there are a clear set of rules and replay is used to enforce those rules. It's not a judgment decision whether a guy is in bounds or not. If his foot is in bounds, it's in bounds. If he's out, it's out. You know, in in association football, it's completely different. It's so subjective because the VAR referee sees one thing, the referee on the pitch sees another. You have these conflicting opinions, and the end result is often wrong. Um, and this isn't to mention that VAR gets in the way of the flow of the game. It's so disappointing to see a goal, a beautiful goal by uh, Mohamed Salah ruled off because he was literally a forearm offside. I mean, it was that close. Um, and you just got a question, is it good for the game? Is this really necessary for football to, to say a guy was offside by a finger and that should disallow a goal? I don't know. I think it's definitely going to be another topic of discussion for the FA to review, probably not for this season, but into next season. And it wouldn't surprise me if VAR is, is removed from the Premier League just because it's it's stirred up so much controversy and unnecessary controversy at that. Another bad VAR call took place in the Aston Villa versus West Ham match. West Ham up 2-1, and, you know, Aston Villa had chances before that. They missed a penalty early on. But Ollie Watkins is running into the box. He gets a nice cross in, converts a goal for Aston Villa that would tie the match up. And it's celebrations all around, and then VAR gets in the way. You look at it live, and it really looked like Watkins was onside. His foot definitely wasn't across, but VAR intervened. And just by the, I mean, it was literally his forearm. By like six inches of his forearm. He was ruled offside, goal disallowed, and to make matters worse, and this is a horrible thing, he was being mauled practically from the back as he was going for that ball. So it was it was a clear foul. If there's no offside, maybe VAR looks at that and says, yeah, that's a penalty. Well, no, they it, it should be a penalty. There's There was no doubt about it. And for whatever reason... VAR 
messes up another call. They call offsides. They don't even bother to look at the foul. At least that's how it would appear. And Aston Villa gets nothing. Again, VAR is getting in the way of the game. Either leave what was called on the field as it stands and don't let VAR in, or ensure that VAR is making the right call every time because there's no excuse for replay system to be making this many bad calls. There's no excuse. That's the point of replay, to correct this stuff. And you cannot tell me that on that Ollie Watkins play that there was no foul there. Okay, granted, maybe he was offside, but he was still being fouled in the process. That's still a penalty. No matter what happens with the offside, it's still a penalty. VAR misses it again. It's a shame for Aston Villa because I thought they played really well in the second half. Probably should have come away with points, but they don't. And uh, they've kind of stalled in their recent matches. And uh, we'll have to see if they can turn things around. Fulham gets a big result against Leicester City. The shock of the week. It's not even close. Fulham, who who have struggled all season only had four points coming into this match, get a 2-1 win over Leicester. Leicester were at one point at the top of the table this season. They've fallen off to fourth. They have a, I mean, it's a, it's a bad loss to Fulham. Fulham should be relegated, but it's huge for them. They, they're now a point clear of relegation, already picking up a win against one of the best clubs in the Premier League, so it's great for them. Uh, they finally convert on a penalty. I think they had missed their last three or four. But uh, Cavallero with a nice strike into the corner of the box. And in the 38th minute, Le- uh, Fulham took a 2-0 lead. Leicester, were able to, Leicester and Harvey Barnes were able to get one back. But still a 2-1 loss for Leicester City. And uh, you gotta kind of got to wonder if what we saw at the start of the season was a fluke and whether Brendan Rodgers is really going to be able to consistently get his squad ready for these games. Uh, so far, you can't really say that you've seen enough for, from Leicester to convincingly put them in the top four at the end of the year. You really don't know. They've kind of been a topsy-turvy team, and with uh, Jamie Vardy, when, when Jamie Vardy doesn't score, you kind of wonder where the goals are coming from, and it's been an issue with them all season. They're absolutely a defensive-minded team, but uh, if Fulham is scoring two goals and Leicester aren't able to match that, that's got to be a concern. Leeds, with another good result, they beat Everton 1-0. Everton kind of in the same boat as Leicester. Both teams started off hot. They've now dropped off in form, and Leeds get a big win, another good result against a club that certainly has a bigger budget than them, probably, uh, I mean, objectively a bigger club. Rafinha scores his first goal in the Premier League in the 79th minute, and Leeds get the three points. Man City, 5-0 over uh, Burnley. I mean, that's at this point to be expected. Burnley just are playing bad, bad football. Uh, That brick wall defense that we saw last season just isn't there this year, and Man City trounced them. Could kind of be a get-right match for Man City. We'll have to see if they can continue that offensive success that they showed against Burnley. Again, it is Burnley. We'll have to see how they do against bigger clubs. And then the final two matches from the weekend, Newcastle 2-0 over Crystal Palace, and Sheffield loses again, this time to a fellow relegation zone team in West Brom. It's another bad loss for Sheffield. The success story of last season 
looks like they're going to be going down unless they can drastically turn things around. Before I wrap up the show, um, I actually just got an alert on my phone saying that the Newcastle Aston Villa match, which is which was scheduled for Friday, has now been postponed due to a COVID nineteen outbreak. It's the first match of the 2020-21 season for the Premier League that has been canceled for COVID-19 reasons. It's amazing that there's only been one match canceled when we see all the different sports in the United States canceling games because of COVID. Uh, so it, it's it's disappointing that we have a match canceled, but it's also kind of a testament to how well the Premier League has handled the outbreak and um, how well they've they've been able to contain the virus when players do get it. There have been instances of players getting it, Mohamed Salah, Kai Havertz, just to name a few, but uh, they've all been contained. Unfortunately, though, we do have a cancellation this week. I'm kind of curious to see how they'll make up the match. Neither of those teams are in European competition, so there's not really a worry of them overdoing it if they do make it a midweek match. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the big news of today coming out. Uh, I also did hear a rumor, and I, I don't know if this is true, that the FA with the U.K., leaving the European Union through Brexit, the FA is going to be changing their transfer rules for foreign players, like there might only, for players under a certain age, due to work visas and permits and that kind of thing, Premier League teams might be restricted to a certain number of youth international players, foreign players outside of the European Union that they sign. That's definitely going to be something to watch because that that could change uh, the transfer window drastically for English teams. With that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of the Upper 90. You can follow me, Sam Culp, on Twitter, at Culp underscore Sam. You can also follow WMEC Sports on Twitter, at WMEC Sports. I'm going to try to post more polls and questions and stuff on Twitter. I really love to hear your guys' thoughts about the Premier League, especially as we enter this kind of massive time in the season. With the shortened season, everything is so congested. We're going to start to see two matches a week in the league so things are going to get really interesting it's already been a fantastic season and i really like hearing you guys thoughts thank you so much for listening and i'll talk to you next week